far as the actual group home business itself, I don't spend much time. I log on. Uh, I look to see what the book bookkeepers, uh, you know, have done, how much money we made, and then I cut distribution checks. That's really it. Welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business. And on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. Um, I was just kind of breaking breaking down for him that uh, we we have an hour, so we'll we'll wrap it up around four o'clock. Yep. Um, we'll kind of answer everybody's questions, but really what we'll, we want to show them how to get to the point that you are right, which is working on the business and not in the business. Um, and you know, at what I think, uh, you got to that point, Andy, like around your fourth or fifth home, right? No, real, realistically, it was, it was more or less right, right at the first one, because I knew right off the bat what I wanted to do. And I didn't uh-huh. want to be involved in the day-to-day management. Um, so I, I had a manager right off the bat and uh, I did, I was, I was involved. I was definitely more operationally involved. I mean, I was helping, I was helping to find furniture. I was helping to even go out and get clients and I was sending out emails Um, but you know, Brandon, you're right. Probably about by number three, I wasn't, I really wasn't involved at all with anything. So the, the, in the beginning, it was mainly just like the marketing and everything like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was primarily marketing. I mean, that's always been kind of my, my strength and my forte. Uh, but even with the marketing, I mean, most of what I was doing back then, I mean, I had an old school fax machine, (laughs) Right. <laughs> and, uh, I just gathered up a bunch of a uh, bunch of phone numbers for all the various hospitals. And I, I would sit there for I mean, it's total waste of my time, but I would do it because it was very easy to do. And I could still read and listen to music or whatever. And I would just run that exact same piece of paper through that fax machine for like three or four or five hours. And it was going to all the hospitals in the, you know, in the entire region. Uh, so I would do that and then I would blast out emails and they were cut and paste emails. And this is, this is really quite frankly, before the days of MailChimp, before the days of uh, active campaign before any of that. So it was, um, yeah, that was really what I was doing. And that's how you, and how long did it take you to get that first home filled up after doing that? Oh man, we probably had it full, I don't know, within full at, you know, 90 to hundred percent occupancy within the first month and a half at most. The minute we went over to the hospital, I say we, that we got, we got a client. Uh, so I, I don't remember how we got this guy. I think his name was Larry. Oh, you know what happened was, I think it was a property that I was buying and I, yeah, it was a property I was buying and it was a group home and I didn't want to utilize it as a group home. I was going to just fix it up and, and flip it, which is exactly what I did. But I took the, that guy, Larry, and we moved him over into a, this other property that we had set up as a group home. And then that led us to his caseworker over at the hospital. And then that caseworker turned us on to like four or five people. And the next thing you knew, we were, you know, we were at full occupancy. And that's, that's exactly how the business works.
That seems to be kind of the the average time that I see our members that really get rocking and rolling and implement everything. Um, you know, once they get the house and get it set up and and start implementing the marketing, they the homes seem to be filled within a few weeks. We did that one, Brandon, that I think I sent you a picture on the other day with the bunk beds and everything. Yeah. And um, anyways, the manager on that one, he texted me, I don't know, a week or so later. And he said, hey, I just got a call from the Salvation Army. I said, oh, that's cool. So he went over to the Salvation Army and he became, you know, he's, he's a very friendly guy. And he met up with one of the caseworkers who he met through one of the clients and that caseworker proceeded to send him like six or seven people. So that that home, it's not totally full because we got bunk beds in it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, he's forecasted to have that thing bringing in. I think he told me like nine thousand dollars next month. Yeah. And once once it's stabilized, I yeah. think it was going to be over like ten, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. I mean, at this point, and and at the beginning, trust me, I paid attention to every last nickel, uh, every fifty dollars a month. I was paying attention to. At this point, you know, when there's a lot of money coming in, you don't really look at everything because, quite frankly, you can't. Uh, so it's it's a good problem to have. By no means am I Steve Mnuchin or any of those, you know, crazy wealthy people. But, um, you know, once there's a chunk of money coming in every month, um, you know, you, you can't watch every last $50 expense. It's, it just becomes too difficult. Right. Well, I'm going to, uh, you mentioned the, as, as we can, as we like continue and answer the questions and everything, um, I'm going to show you folks kind of the stuff inside the gold course that, that we, that we cover. So Andy mentioned that he, he's in the beginning, he would just send in out those faxes, right. And, and, uh, emails and things like that. If you go into the important documents section of the gold course, in the marketing documents, you could get the same the same script, the same fax, the same email that Andy used to fill that home up in a few weeks. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to like point stuff out like that as we as we follow them. Another thing you mentioned um, you mentioned the Salvation Army, which in a lot of areas I see they're they're one of the organizations that get a lot of grant money from the government to help with the, uh, they call it rapid rehousing. So really in the beginning, the, the, like the very first thing that people can do out there, especially in this time of lockdown, right? You got nothing else to do, build your marketing list. You need a list of, of, uh, hospitals, caseworkers, organizations to market to. So this is the very first step. So if you go into this, how to build your marketing list, you watch a video on how to do it and set up an email campaign. And then, uh, there's a keyword guide here to help you, to help you find some organizations. Um, and Salvation Army is one of those that you're definitely going to want to get on your list, figure out who you need to talk to, um, and get get referrals <laughs> as as you mentioned they they sent what was it like six people right off the bat yeah and that, that was just zach going over there talking to the folks and um all because of one client we had and then he became friends i say friends but you know good acquaintances with this guy over at the salvation army and maybe it was a lady i don't know um but yeah next thing he knew his phone was <laughs> ringing off the hook and yeah, he's got this this place almost all filled up yeah. And we, you know, we, we call it marketing and sales. Like that's technically what you're doing, but it's, it's not like a hard sell, right? I mean, you don't have to talk to them on how beautiful the home is or anything like that. They're, 
most of the times these people are just refreshed to be speaking with a landlord that's willing to work with them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if I can comment on that. Absolutely. Um, there is so much demand for this type of housing out there, especially right now. And there's limited supply. Uh, and we all know what happens when supply outpaces uh, or underpaces demand. Um, it, it just becomes exceedingly easier and easier and easier to sell. So to Brandon's point, you're, it is not a hard sell whatsoever. It's simply just telling people, hey, we have properties, we have beds available for folks to live in. Uh, with whatever type of people are, are in need of housing, we can provide that, that housing for them. And that's all you really have to do. But you definitely need to make an effort. You got to go out there. You got to become known within your community. And if you don't let people know who you are and what you're doing, your phone's not going to ring. Right. Um, so we we have a couple a couple questions have come in. Um, I think we can kind of break down. Uh, there's a lot of similar questions just on 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 getting started. Right. So we're in Texas. Why don't you break down, you know, how long it took for you to get licensed with the state and what you needed to do for zoning in Texas and, and then how how difficult. Why are you making me, are you making me laugh? Brandon? <laughs> then then uh, like how how difficult is it to get started in other areas of the country like uh, New York or Virginia? Uh, they're wondering what what those steps are going to look like there also. I've, I've got a big <laughs> in my face. OK, so. Um, the funny thing is with this business, like you, you don't need to, you don't need to have a license. Okay. Um, and I remember people asking me this question, you know, 15 years ago, well, you know, don't you have to have a license and everything else? And I'm thinking to myself, what about all these like huge college housing organizations that have like four or five or six students living in a bedroom? Do they have to have a license? Uh, and obviously the answer is no. So you don't need to have a license to run this sort of operation. Um, and the reason that you don't, especially doing it the way that we teach in the goal course is because, and the way that I do it is because we don't provide um, any sort of, of medical treatment. We don't have doctors on staff. We don't have any of that stuff. We outsource everything. And we typically, we just do it through home health. Um, so yeah, you, you don't need to have, you do not need to have a license to operate this sort of business if you do it. And if you operate it the same way that, that we do and the same way that I do, um, does that answer your question, Brandon? Yes. And I did, uh, I asked that, you know, <laughs> it was, it, I was being facetious, but that is, that is the most common thing that, that people run into and they, they come across when they're, uh, when they're just getting started out, you know, I, I, I speak to a lot of people that they don't realize that and they go through the process of becoming licensed, which is, you know, it takes about six to 12 months if people can even get through the paperwork and it costs thousands to go through that. And it's going to come with extra rules and regulations and inspections and that you got to do more upgrades uh, you're going to be managing, you, you know, you're going to be managing a staff of nurses. So there are, uh, you know, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to each, each model, of course. Um, and, and you can, you can, you can follow our model or you can build upon it, but 
the kind of thing that we really need to hammer uh, most of the new people, our new new members, um, is that you don't need to be licensed. <laughs> yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have to have a license. And the other thing that, that I always try to, to mention to folks when I am chatting with them is um, if you want to get licensed, that's awesome. But why don't it's going to cost you probably twenty or thirty thousand dollars to get a license and to get licensed. Why don't you just get some cash flow going first? And if we can show you how to make, you know, two or three thousand dollars from one home, and then you you know set up another home, and now you have six thousand. You set up another home, now you have nine thousand. Okay, well if you can live off three and you can pocket six per month, you do that for three months. Now you have eighteen thousand saved up. Do that for another month. Now you can afford the license. But most people don't even have the twenty five thousand dollars that's going to be needed to get the license. So the smartest way to approach it, if you really want to be a licensed facility is to set out and run it the way that we teach in the goal course and uh, and then build up your cash flow that way and then once you've got your 20 or 30 grand saved up if you want to reinvest it rather than to buying more homes uh, you can invest it into getting licensed right and you can you could technically you'd be able to charge more right because you're getting paid for providing the care but you know do you want to, do you want to be a, do you want to run a, a company like that? That, you know, it just depends on what everyone's goals are. And we find that, you know, about 99% of the people I speak with, their goals are, Hey, I, I just want to help people out and make good money while, while I can do that. So why not go the path of least resistance, you know? Um, so what we do is, is, is essentially we're, we're just offering affordable housing um, charge around, you know, six to $700 per bed and typically a roommate situation. Mm -hmm. And then if anybody does need like a nurse on hand or anything like that, Andy's not going to, you know, he's not, he's not going to go get his nurse degree. (laughs) He's not going to go get a license. He's not going to hire a nurse. He just simply outsources it to home health, home health companies. And there are literally thousands of home health companies in every single state out there. And they would yeah. be more than happy to come on over to your property because they're going to make money every time they come over to see one of your clients. And chances are, you know, if you've got 10, excuse me, if you've got 10 clients at your property and each client is worth, for sake of argument, $500 a month uh, to that home health agency, you, you, you might be able to create a relationship with them. Yeah. And if anybody, you know, I recommend the first thing you do after after you join the gold course, just watch this video called Understanding the Business Model. It's in the beginner section. It's going to break down why this is legal, why to answer everyone's question, why you can do it in any state, in any city, okay? Because we're adhering to federal laws, all right? Like the Fair, the Fair Housing Act, for, exa- for example. Um, and that's going to be broken down. There's way more information on it in the uh, legal section of the important documents, uh, the licensing and the Fair Housing Act uh, document here. And that's so, a very important section uh, in the gold course. I mean, there's there's so much information in this gold course. This license agreement right here is you, you're gonna is worth the price of the gold course and then some. it'll save you you, i mean Um, you're gonna you're you're gonna real quick brandon yeah for sure so people sometimes will ask you know our our consulting clients or whatever andy i got this client or brandon i got this client um i need to get them out of the property do i need to file an eviction on them and and we always tell them you know 
if you go and stay at the Ritz Carlton or you go stay at the Motel 6, it doesn't matter. And you don't pay your Motel 6 bill. <laughs> is Motel 6 going to have to evict you? And the answer is a resounding no, they don't. Because essentially what you've done, you've signed a license agreement with Motel 6, the Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, what have you. They don't have to evict. They just lock you out. And so that's how we operate as well. Yeah. So it, <laughs> that another very common misconception um, and probably what holds back a lot of, you know, real estate investors, you know, landlords typically is, I mean, you do rentals too, right? So think think of your, uh, you know, like worst tenant, right? Like uh, they're imagining, you know, possibly now 10 people like that and going through the eviction process, which is why a lot of landlords, you know, aren't, aren't doing this. Um, uh, They're imagining like they've gone through the eviction process before. It's super stressful. And now they're imagining doing that with possibly 10 people now. So this document here is key. <laughs> you would you would pay a lawyer more in their hourly rate to draft something up like this for you, and you're going to need it. So um, this essentially, like Andy said, you know, if someone breaks your house rules, this gives you the right to ask them to leave. They're gone. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. that simple. The it just, other really cool thing with this is that you have a, in this business model, you have a house manager that's going to report to you. Now, eventually, if you have enough group homes, you're going to have a manager that's going to oversee, give or take about 10 house managers. Um, but those house managers are overseeing, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 people on a daily basis. Do you know what your clients are doing? Versus right now, if I have a client that removes a smoke detector, I don't know that. But when you have a house manager and you've got video monitoring and everything else, the house manager is going to tell you, and actually you don't even want them to tell you, you just want them to take care of it themselves um, and go and, and reprimand that particular tenant or client. And, um, you know, if they disobey or they violate the house rules again, you lock them out. They get, they get kicked out just like they would at Motel 6 or the Four Seasons. Yeah. So, and the reason why, when you check into the hotel, like you mentioned, you sign their little check-in sheet. Um, agreeing to the rules, this license agreement is your, you know, your check-in basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. So that, and, and yes, you can do it in, in, in any, any state, all right. Any state, any city, um, we operate in, in central Texas, but we, we adhere to the federal laws. So, um, one thing that can come up, um, and often does is, and we operate in in cities that have this too. They'll they'll put in their their local code. They'll put stuff like you can't have more than four or six unrelated occupants in in a home. But why we can still operate is because that's there. That's against federal law. It's against the, federal law, and they are actually related if you read the Fair Housing Act. Yep. So there's a, a there's a really large sober living organization called the Oxford House, and they have a long record and case history of challenging those local laws. So wherever you guys are at, do a quick Google search uh, called Oxford House in your area, and just look at what look at look at the homes that are operating in your area. Um, I do this everywhere, (laughs) every coaching call I have, I'll show people 
that have that question, Hey, can I do this in Virginia? Uh, they have this, this law that says I can't have more than four people, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a direct violation of the fair housing act. And like, like Andy said, um, the, the large, large majority of the, of the populations that you're going to be serving are a protected class and they've been found in, there's, plenty of court cases that show that people living in this environment um are under uh what's it called familial <laughs> they, they 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 operate as a family so they're considered a family so um and, and if i can comment real quick brandon uh, yeah one thing that's really important is being a good neighbor and as long as you're being a good neighbor you're cutting the yard you're keeping it clean you're keeping a watchful eye on all your clients Quite frankly, you're not really going to have to contend with any of this stuff. You're not going to have to worry about code compliance. You're not going to have to worry about, you know, breaking any of these laws because nobody's really going to complain. The only time that this stuff pops up um, is when something happens. You know, maybe you've got and don't get me wrong. I mean, it is a business. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. Uh, the best days are, of course, the beginning of the month, because that's typically when you cut your distribution check. <laughs> um, but the um, the only time that things really seem to pop up is is if a client, you know, and, and again, it does happen, but maybe a client does start using alcohol again, or maybe they start using drugs again or whatever. And these things, again, they do happen. But if that happens, the neighbors will probably notice it. The neighbors are going to start complaining. And that's when you could have, uh, just have an issue. Um, so rule number one, be a good neighbor. Rule number two, see rule number one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and the, the, these first couple questions, I really just want to bang out like the, the, those very first common misconceptions. And cause we know it like the back of our, our head, but the kind of everybody, when they first start on their quest to, to search how to do this, those are those common questions. So those, those first couple that we got, Hey, does this work in New York? Does this work in Virginia? Yeah, it works. It works everywhere. Uh, the demand everywhere. Um, Zoisa, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, she asked, does it work in Brooklyn? Um, and then we have a couple other questions about the houses, right? So, um, and, and the rates. So those, those are kind of all, We'll, we'll, we'll break that down here in this next little segment. So what, what do you look for in a home? How do you set the rates and would it work in a place like Brooklyn possibly? But, um, where I'm getting at, um, you want to, you want to make it affordable compared to a one bedroom or studio in your, in your, in your area. Right. So five or 600 bucks for to, to live in a place is extremely affordable where we operate. You're looking at with all the bills, you know, you can't really find a place for, for less than a thousand bucks unless it's in a war zone. So, um, you know, there's no way, there's no exact formula to set what your rates are going to be. You just want to make it, you want to make it affordable. Um, and in general, you know, technically it could, it, it could work in a one bedroom or a two bedroom home, right? But that's not really what, what we're looking for. So why don't, why don't you kind of break down what, you know, what type of home do you look for? How many bedrooms and, and why do you want as many bedrooms as you can yeah. get? So let, let's start with uh, Zoe's first question regarding rates. And I'll just uh, kind of echo your comments on that, Brandon. Um, 
here in Central Texas, uh, or really a lot of the sand states, if you will, not non-sand states, but the flyover states, if you will, if you're in that 500 to probably 650 range, maybe even a little bit less, depending on the area. I mean, if you're up in Ohio, I think Jose is one of our uh, Gold Course clients. What does Jose charge, Brandon? Do you recall? I think he was at like four or five hundred. It was it was a little less than 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 we do, but it's just because you know the cost of living is a little bit yeah, less he, there. He, he's in Cleveland. Where is he in Cleveland or what part of? Ohio? He was in in uh, Dayton. Okay, so he's in Dayton, but I mean, up in Dayton, you can buy a house for next to nothing. So then he goes out there and he charges his four hundred dollars a month. For us, we're going to be, as Brandon said, on a single room, you know, in that 500 to probably $700 range. And then obviously it goes up from there. We do have different levels and different tiers, depending on the overall level um, of uh, responsibility that we have for that particular client. Um, but that 500 to $700 range is a really good range for us. If you're up in the Midwest, you could probably be a little bit lower. If you are in Brooklyn or you're in you know, a higher rent district or even out on the left coast in California, you're going to be able to get away with a lot more. I think you're probably going to be able to get away with uh, 700 to probably 950, I would presume. Brandon, you used to live in Northern California. What do you think? Oh, yeah, probably like, I mean, I was I was in San Jose and this was like seven years ago. You couldn't even find an apartment for less than 1500 bucks. <laughs> like, yeah, there you go. So a lot of it's it's going to be case by case, but you definitely want to come in, as Brandon said, you want to come in at an affordable rate. That way you've got a lot of uh, a lot of client demand. The other thing to take into consideration is that we provide housing for folks that are typically going to be on SSI or SSDI. For those of you that are, are new to this, that's going to be Social Security income or Social Security disability income. So these folks are all getting checks every single month for 600 to typically $800 a month, at least in our neck of the woods. If the average the average nationwide is uh, 1300 12 okay, there, or $1,300. There, there, there you go. So yeah, I, sometimes I don't even really know. In California, though, there are people that are on SSI and SSDI, and they're making a couple thousand bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, sad to say, but it's almost an income stream for a lot of folks. So if you can come in and you can provide... Uh, we actually provide food at a lot of our locations, but if you can provide housing, which is going to encompass your utilities, your water, your gas, your electric, uh, telephone, TV, uh, pretty much anything and everything that people need to live. And you can do that for 600 or $650. And the person doesn't have to worry about a thing. They don't have to worry about making their payments. They don't have to worry about the time Warner cable bill, the spectrum bill, the water bill. They don't have to worry about any of that. All they have to do is cut one check to you each and every month for $700. And quite frankly, the best part of it is that they're not the one cutting the check. The way that we do it, we make sure that either we are set up as the representative payee, i.e. the beneficiary, or 99% of the time, we're going to work with a rep payee organization like the Salvation Army. Um, There's a number of them out there. So So this... uh people will probably have some questions on that and that's what we created this how to get paid guide for. So, and that will answer, um, I want to ask about, you know, if a tenant doesn't pay, how do you kick them out? Do you prorate them? Typically, you know, the, the, so we're, we're offering affordable housing to people that, you know, 99% of the people aren't going to qualify for, for any type of, uh, other living situation. Right. You have to have good credit. 
clean history, good rental history, three times the income. Uh, we're taking in people, people like that. Um, but you know, we're not, we're not just giving them a lease. We're not letting them have free reign on the property and we're not just going to hope that they pay us every month. (laughs) We don't play the the hope and pray game. Yeah. So you want to get set up to get guaranteed payments. That is, that is key. Uh, licensing space to the people is key. You're not leasing the home to, you know, 10 people and getting a guaranteed check is key. So you can become their payee or you can require them to go through a third party payee program. Or oftentimes if you're with your marketing, if, if you're marketing to the right organizations, you get paid directly by like nonprofits and things like that. So Latarsha um, asks, you know, how do you cover the food and, and the essentials for, for everybody? Uh, look, we, we said that that first property is bringing in, it's going to be bringing in 10,000 bucks per month. That's your funding. You yeah, know, I mean, and it's not a, it's not a government that. grant, <laughs> um, a gov, a government grant, you know, it, it's, I'll, I can send you guys information on a government grant and, uh, and don't ask me any questions on it because it's 80 pages of legalese. <laughs> so yeah, why, why it, would you want to even do that? I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, when, it's a waste of your time. I mean, I, we have some of our clients that that'll have, they don't even have bunk beds. They've got triple bunks. And I mean, again, we don't do that because we like to make sure that we, we don't have super crowded locations. We typically just have two to a room, but depending on the element that we're providing housing for, we will do bunk beds. And that's the one that I think I sent you a text on, Brandon. Yep. Bunk beds. And so it will gross a lot of money. So um, going back to that next question that Zoiza had about location and what types of properties we're looking for, right? we really don't want two bedrooms. And quite frankly, we don't even really want three bedrooms because if you follow my model, which is typically two to a room, and don't get me wrong, you can do three or four or five or six, but we try to make ours very habitable and nice because we want a good reputation with all the social workers out there. Um, so that's why we typically stick to two to a room. Uh, but if you only are doing two to a room and you have a three bedroom property, you can only have six people living in the property. Um, so your revenues are kind of capped out. So what I usually look for is I'm looking for a four bedroom or a five bedroom home. Um, and again, you guys can go out there and lease these properties. I own them. I prefer to own them because I mean, it's very obvious why you can build up a lot of wealth. If you own the real estate, you can pay it off very fast as well. Uh, and if you own it, then what we usually do is I'll send the guys over there to turn it, you know, turn a four bedroom, two bath home that has a garage into a six bedroom home. So we'll convert the garage into two rooms and we'll run the AC ducts and everything else. But now I have six rooms. So I have 12 people living in the property. And if all if each individual is paying $600, now I'm making $7,200 a month. And so the numbers can start adding up really fast, especially if you've bought the property in a middle income neighborhood. So we don't buy these properties. I don't buy these properties in upper income neighborhoods. Um, they're typically going to be middle to lower income neighborhoods because if I can buy them for cheap, then my mortgage payment's going to be less and there's going to be more net cash flow spread for me to, to take. 
out of the property each and every month. So that's really the business model. So let's, um, let's, let's, um, let me break that down a little bit more. So let's say you did, you, you, you mentioned getting like a four or five bedroom and converting the garage. So I know a couple of the properties and, and like one of the, one of the neighborhoods, right. Um, you would be able to, if you, if you wanted to be a landlord and rent that out, you maybe get what, like 1500 bucks for the properties. Yep. Exactly. So you're basically, you know, 10xing your cash flow by doing this rather than rather than make, you know, 2 or 300 bucks a month after paying your mortgage, you know, you're you're bringing in I mean, it, after expenses it's around like 3000 bucks on on average. Correct. And a lot of it's going to depend on the size of the property. I mean, if you have a five bedroom or a six bedroom home, I mean, you could have one house and it's making you 4,000 bucks a month, but on average, um, for, for me at least, because I do have three bedrooms, four bedroom and five bedroom homes on average, it's going to be about $2,500 a month, just give or take. Nice. And here's another thing for folks to think about out there. When you are looking to lease or purchase a property, there's not going to be a big difference in price between three, a three bedroom home or a five bedroom home. Um, there'll be no difference in price if, if a, the garage is converted. If any, if anything, a traditional renter or buyer, um, they want that garage for extra storage. You know, no one needs five bedrooms typically, so you can't really get much more for it. But with this business model, your revenue will directly correlate with the amount of bedrooms. So that's another huge benefit. So, um, you know, the more bedrooms you get, the more revenue you're going to get. So, um, kind of a long answer that it, I think it, you know, it just depends on, on how many bedrooms you can find in Brooklyn, really. I mean, um, I, it, like if it's just a one or two bedroom apartment, yes, technically you could do it, but you're not really gonna really optimize like the business model. So hope, I hope that answers uh, your questions. So um, Let's go with Latarsha. Um, great, great question. Um, we we kind of talked about the rental rate. Um, hey, Brandon, you, do you want to read the question that way? Uh, everybody can kind of hear it. Yeah, here's 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 a good one. And never, uh, it's in the chat too. Um, how are you able to purchase so many properties? Does the bank limit you as an individual? What a great question. Really good question. Yeah, this is this is a really good question because this is something that I unfortunately stumbled across and came came up upon a long time ago. Um, so my history, I started doing, I started buying real estate in 2000, and then as you guys know, you've probably read a lot of the blogs and, and information. Um, I started doing the the group homes a few years after that. Um, but during that time period, there were very loose and lax lending standards. So for all intents and purposes, you could go out there and you could get as many loans as you wanted. So there was, there was a bank out there called Washington Mutual. A lot of you guys may be familiar with it. They went belly up during the last recession. Obviously, now we're in, <laughs> now we're in the COVID corona recession. Um, but anyways, you could go out there and, and they, you could get as many loans as you wanted. And then things started tightening up little by little. And the next thing you know, the uh, federal housing guidelines changed. And I think you could only have like four properties on your credit report. 
So at that point in time, I had to go out there and start figuring out how to get money for new properties. And so what I started doing is going over to a lot of the community banks um, and, and local credit unions. The credit unions are really the best place to get money because the money's cheaper and it's typically a little bit easier to get money from the credit unions, in my personal opinion, than it is the community banks. The underwriting is not as stringent. Um, so that's really how, how, I've, how I've done it. I have used private money in the past. I, I did use private money during the last recession, and then I refinanced out of that private money with credit unions and community banks. Um, so that's how I've done it. Is that, her, is that her total question, or does she have any other? That, no, that, that was it. Uh, oh, how, how, how are you able to purchase so many properties? Does the bank limit you as an individual, blah, blah, blah. Okay, one comment on that, though, is that typically at a credit union uh, or at a community bank, they are going to have policies and guidelines that limit how much exposure or risk they can have on an individual client. And typically, it's going to range, you know, from 7 to 10% of the net worth of the credit union. So if it's a small credit union, maybe a $50 million credit union or, or shop, bank shop, uh, and 10% is their credit exposure, they're not going to allow you as a property owner to take out more than about $5 million worth of loans with them because that would be beyond their policy limit. So that is something else to take into consideration. Fortunately, for most of the folks that we work with, they're not gonna really uh, come up and fall uh, fall upon those guidelines. It's not going to be that big of an issue for them. And once and if it does, you just move on over to another bank. And another uh, just huge valuable piece of information, one of many. And I'm going to keep pointing these out <laughs> in the gold course important document section. And this will answer uh, Danielle. You asked about a business plan. Where do you start? Well. Buy the gold course, stick around for uh, a special deal on that. <laughs> Go to the important documents section and you can check out a sample business plan. Um, and, and this is, this is, was used to something that you can bring to the banks uh, to, to kind of show them what, what you're doing. Obviously you're going to need to tweak this to your business. Um, but I honestly, Danielle, um, I'm trying to write a business plan for my group home. Where do I start? We're trying to take in foster youth that's aging out. Um, you know, a business plan, I, it's, it, it, I, w I would focus on revenue generating um, actions in the beginning of my business. A business plan can be as simple as writing it in a notebook, um, you know, and looking at it. It's, it's, uh, it's good to have a plan. Um, but unless you're looking to, uh, if, if you're trying to pitch something to find a partner or get a loan from a bank, yes, you do need a detailed business plan. But I think that's one of those things that a lot of new entrepreneurs kind of get hung up on. And if I can comment real quick on, uh, on that business plan, I'm not exaggerating. That business plan made me so much money uh, during the last recession. It was incredible because what it allowed me to do was printed out and go into these various community banks and credit unions that I had already gone in and I wasn't able to get loans. And that, I'm not gonna say that that was the silver bullet, but that helped me secure funding to buy real estate. And again, it goes back to Brandon's comment earlier. 
If you just buy a rental property, you're going to have $200 a month of monthly cash flow. If you buy a property and then you convert it over into a group home, now you have $2,000 a month of monthly cash flow. And if you take that model and that approach and you explain it to a banker along with this business plan, it is so easy to obtain funding. I was getting funding from 2009 to 2011 when there was no liquidity in the marketplace. You could not buy real estate. And so that business plan right there single-handedly created, I mean, multiple, multiple, multiple millions of dollars for me. Um, not in terms of cash flow, but just in terms of equity buildup from these properties. Because properties back then, you could buy them for $50,000, $60,000. And today, some of them, quite frankly, are worth 10x that. So it's, it's, uh, it's substantial. So I, I'm asking a question to everybody out there. Uh, what is the number one thing holding you guys back from getting started? And then I want to touch on, on something else. This, so this, this business plan as as Andy mentioned, this was used to, you know, not, not to find a partner, but kind of like a partner with a bank, right? I mean, they're, they're giving you a ton of, they gave you a ton of capital. Um, but I think a lot of the folks on this call and that come to us, you're probably not in that position yet. Right. So you know, I think that a number one thing um, holding a lot of people back that I speak with is just the funds to get started, right? Um, and this will, I forget who asked it, but do you need to have a home? Yes, you do need to have a home to operate. So um, let's go over kind of how, how to get the home or how to start, like, or even how do you start with no money, right? So, you know, a lot of people are, are check to check. You want to you want to make more money, and and that's kind of holding holding people back. So, if you go into the beginner's guide, how to find a partner and start with little to no money. Um, if you guys listen to our podcasts and, and interviews with other successful members, you'll hear them leasing a property or even partnering with a landlord with without putting any money down in the beginning. Um, so you touched on Andy, uh, a, re- a, a good deal for a landlord is making 200 bucks, two or 300 bucks per month. Right. Yeah. And that's what you think you're making. I mean, most of these landlords aren't making that because the property is going to go vacant. I mean, you're going to have maintenance, repair operations and all these additional expenses. So, and it's passive, right? Completely passive. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you guys a story of uh, my family member. He's in upstate New York. He, him and his business partner have around 50 properties. Andy, how much do you think they, they brought home in profit last year? On, on 50 properties? Yep. I can, I can do the math for you pretty quickly. I mean, so uh, let everybody put your guesses in there on 50 rental properties in New York. How much do you think my family member profited off of those? So 50, and what are they? Um, just individual single family homes? What are they? Mostly single families. Okay. And what are, what are the average rents on them? Um, they're in Albany. So I would say like one to 2000. Okay. So call it 1200 bucks a pot, maybe something like that. Something. Yeah. So 60 grand a month. Your time multiplied by 12. You got 720,000 coming in. Re- realistically, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they made 
fifty to sixty-five thousand. So net, um, net. Danielle thinks ten k closer. <laughs> uh, I've had people on calls. I mean, you think landlords are rich, right? <laughs> when you hear fifty properties in New York, the average is like, oh, he's got to be a millionaire, right? On paper, they're doing great. <clears throat> they lost. They lost money. Yeah, I believe it. So, uh, and this gets to, this is getting to how to find a partner and start with little to no money. Um, you know, imagine if, if you found someone, someone like that and explain this business model to them. And this is kind of the first step for, for beginners out there. You need to know why this is so much better than, than the, like a rental model. One, you're gonna you're gonna 10x the cash flow. We already we already broke that down. How instead of bringing in fifteen hundred bucks on a property, we're bringing in over seven thousand. All right, you have more control over the property, um, and you you, you uh, you're not gonna be having to go through the eviction court. You're not gonna have a ton of repairs because you have way more control over the property. Um, so these stressed out landlords, they're kind of sold the idea that all you need to do is get, you know, 10 properties. It's completely passive and you'll bring in like 3000 bucks per month. And it never works out like that. Do you know any, <laughs> like, unless of course you've, you've put 60 or 70% down, which let's be honest, nine out of 10 people aren't doing that. You have to use leverage at the beginning in some capacity. So yeah. So, you know, imagine if you were going, went to somebody like this, Hey, you know, Andy, you, I see you have a, a rental property. It's vacant. You're asking 1500 bucks. I've been, I've been investing in this new business model. I've been studying for six months. I have a website up. I have a business model where I think I can bring in $7,000 on that property. I'm going to be doing all the marketing all the managing and you'll never get a call on this property again. I just need a, a property to operate out of. Would you be interested in hearing more about that? Hell yes. <laughs> I mean, what, what landlord, what landlord is going to say no to that? <laughs> I mean, I'm at the point right now where what I primarily do is I look for people to kind of partner up with, if you will. I, I look for operators yeah. People that are willing to go out and do what I did 15, 20 years ago, because number one, I don't want to do it anymore. But number two, I don't have the time, right? I'm doing different things now. So like, for example, right now I've got this, this young kid um, in central Texas. I think he's 21 years old. He's in the, he's in Colleen and on the army base and everything else. And I've, I've done a couple of deals with him. He's 21, but I can tell not what it takes. He's willing to hustle. He's willing to get his hands dirty. He's, he's, he's on it. And um, those are the sort of individuals that I personally want to partner up with. So he's not running group homes for me yet, but I have mentioned it to him. He's interested. I'm trying him out with some other stuff right now, but this is what I'm looking for. I personally am the sort of person that you guys need to go out there and find. And by the way, I had people like this that were my partners and my mentors. I had a gentleman who was a doctor that had made a lot of money and he was willing to take a chance on me. And just like I had bankers that were willing to take a chance on me. So, uh, and I did that with, with really no money. And, and if I may, Brandon, the first deal that I did was a condominium, you know, right in Dallas. 
And I think that thing cost me $2,000 to buy. I bought it for $58,000. And I was, and I, I should send the HUD over to you, Brandon. You can kind of put it up and, and do a do a little uh, video on it or what have you. But it cost me $2,000 to buy. Well, anybody and their mother can come up with $2,000. And if you say you can't, then you're not working that hard. Because you can go, I guarantee you, I see homeless people every single day of the week. And these guys are making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars literally on the corner with their signs. And they're not even working that hard. They're not dancing. They're not playing the drums. <laughs> so imagine if you get out there and you're actually willing to like wash windows or dance or do some crazy gimmick for, uh, for some handouts. You can come up with $2,000 and you can put it away pretty quickly. Um, so it is possible. Yeah. Um, and, and this, let's see. Using that pitch, what what would be a good upsell to offer the owner and landlord as incentive for them to buy in? With Tarsha, that yeah, it's it's it, everything's going to be negotiable. So um, some some folks like if they have if they if they have absolutely no money to start, you know, I would offer like a partnership, you know, a split of the revenue. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but a lot of landlords out there, you know, they just want to get paid on time and not get called. <laughs> so um, if, if you can just, you come to them in a position of what they're going to get out of it, even if you're looking to lease the property, right? You usually have to get them to work with you on their subletting policy. You need to kind of convince them what they're going to get out of it. And that's what this guide will, will, will show you and give you an exact script to use. Um, so Zoe's asked another question. Do the residents need access to the main kitchen or is a kitchenette good enough? Um, again, you know, one kitchen is going to be totally fine for, you know, five, six, seven people. And as you guys probably know from reading our blogs, we've got lower functioning properties, higher functioning properties. On the lower functioning properties, we do have individuals that and we've done, I think we have a video actually in the gold course interviewing some of the, uh, the house managers but um, we'll have one individual that will oversee access to the kitchen because you don't, you want to make sure that these people aren't in the kitchen all day long, eating up all your food. Number one, because it's going to cost you a lot of money, but number two, you want your clients to be healthy. You don't want to get in diabetes from eating, <laughs> from eating all day long. So uh, one single kitchen is good enough. Um, next question. If you had to turn the stay of a resident for failing to adhere to the rules, for the home and let's say rent is received on the first and you had to discontinue the person's stay on the 10th, would you prorate the rent? Okay, great question. Um, 